Infections are infectious Like a dog scratched ear The pleasure is high Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show, Being Human. When Toby Whithouse came up with the idea of being human, I thought, that sounds a bit tacky. And then, when I liked it, I thought about the idea of coming up with a podcast about being human. That is even more tacky. And then, on this episode, we're doing an episode on being human unearthed, which is basically a talking head episode, and we're talking about the talking head episodes. And that is exceptionally tacky, but we're doing it all the same. Welcome to episode 10, and pretty much we've wrapped up series 1. I've got a bit of news, and I never thought I'd do a news section in this podcast. But as part of their In Dreams Are Monsters season, BFI London on South Bank are screening an episode of Being Human and it will be followed by a Q&A with Toby Whithouse. This is happening on Saturday the 17th of December 2022. Uh, as I record this, it's just Toby announced so far, but I've already booked my transport. I'm going, even if it's just now with Toby answering questions. That's, that's brilliant by me. It goes on sale on the day that this podcast comes out to BFI members, which is the 8th of November, copying my idea by putting out a full moon. So I see what you're doing, BFI. And to the general public on the 10th of November. So if you can get there, it's a must, must see, must attend for being human fans. It's going to be a great day. Yes, it's an episode we'd all have seen a million times before. I'm assuming it's going to be Flotsam and Jetsam, but I don't know. The details are quite vague at the minute, but Saturday 17th of December at BFI London South Bank, Being Human, plus Toby Whithouse, and potentially more guests. Now on to Being Human Unearthed, the behind-the-scenes look at the writing process, the making process, and the filming of Series 1 of Being Human. So it's time to welcome back to the podcast, Hannah. Welcome back. Hello, it's good to be back. What is it that Adam says? I'm chicka chicka back. <laughs> That's way too far in the future and being I human. No, oh, but you can't stop me. I think there is actually a traitor in the ranks right now. Is there? What? Well, oh. <laughs> there's a certain someone who has fallen in love with another vampire oh. TV show. I don't know who that could possibly be. Go on. It's, I'm, I'm not alone. There's more Being Human fans ha- who have fallen in love with the interview with the vampire TV show, which is currently airing. <laughs> what is so good about it? Should I watch it? Are you going to do a podcast on it? Oh, well, easy, qu- easy answer to the um, last question. No, I am <laughs> really not good enough. And there's um, a few podcasts already on about it, which are very worth listening to. Um, but no, it is... It's a really beautiful um, show. Like, I'm a big fan of the books, and the show just does it so well. Yeah, it's it's a very... We've found... I've discussed it with other Being Human fans. There's a lot of sort of sim- similarities in what we love about Being Human and then what we love about Interview with a Vampire. Like, there's a lot of discussion on morality and how... Um, whether you can be human as a this 
monster. It's very character driven. There's a good bit of gore, but also some really dark humour, some really funny bits, which is one of the reasons why I love being human so much, is that mix of comedy and um, horror and drama. An interview with the vampire does that just incredibly well as well. Um, So I think, yeah, I mean, I know that you're not, you've never been a massive fan of sort of the vampire's type thing have you so i'm i'm not sure whether you would enjoy it as much as being human being human still my number one by the way is it set in the modern day it's so there's bits set in 2022 a lot of it the main story that is being told is set in the early um 20th century so it begins in the 1910s and goes throughout i think we're currently the episode as i were recording episode six i've just watched episode six and that's in the 1930s so it's sort of like if being human was back in a hundred years previously maybe it'd be something like interview yeah i think i misspoke in my in the first ever episode of this podcast because i said i wasn't particularly into sci-fi things and i think that's not true because I, when I look back on that, I thought, well, no, I loved a load of sci-fi films and TV shows. Yeah. It was actually the vampire thing I think I had the hang-up on. And even though, obviously, I love being human and, I, and it's it's not obviously solely focused on vampires, I still struggle to get into shows that are about vampires, which is weird. Yeah, it is. And I'm completely the opposite. You can give me some absolute rubbish and if it's got vampires in, I probably will still love it. But that doesn't go for Twilight. What about actual vampire porn? Because I saw in the news this week, nuns, <laughs> the Pope said nuns actually watch porn. So so do goths, so you don't have to answer this, I promise. <laughs> do goths watch vampire porn? This is a rhetorical question. Just thinking I mean, aloud. I've, I, well, that is, yeah. Um, I will leave that as a rhetorical question. <laughs> let's crack on with being human unearthed it is it's quite a curious thing really in the sense that it's a it aired about a month after being human finished on series one and it's kind of in the vein of doctor who confidential Mm. which was quite big back then back on bbc3 obviously doctor who aired on bbc1 then it I don't, can't remember if it's the same night or in the, se- in the same week. There'd be a 10, 15 minute show on Doctor Who behind the scenes talking to the cast and the crew and the actors. And that was really big hit. So I, probably because of the era it, it was in, BBC Three obviously felt, and because of the popularity online of being human, they obviously felt that let's do a behind the scene thing for the whole series. Yeah, I feel like that was probably their thinking. Um, and I'm very glad that they did it. It's a it's a weird one, isn't it? Because like I watched it again the other night, and there's so much I've forgotten. But what is it aimed at? If you're a big Being Human fan, what what is nice to see is kind of the behind the scenes stuff. And th- yeah. there's a couple of like nice revelations from Toby about it, the writing process. I would gladly have them talking about what we've already seen and going over sort of obvious things for many hours i mean that's what this podcast is about (laughs) well exactly exactly (laughs) all right so uh being human unearthed aired on 28th of march 2009 it was narrated by alex price it features toby whithouse of course the creator and writer 
Colin Teague, director, Matthew Bouch, producer, Rob Percy, executive producer, Rob Mayer on prosthetics, and Barry Pilling, the online editor. Russell was one of the first to chip in and say when he read the script, it seemed like Lenora and Aiden were on board, but Russell just immediately says, no, I thought it was tacky. I had no yeah. interest. <laughs> well, actually, Lenora also mentions in it about how she was a bit baffled by it, just by the sort of synopsis. But I think along with George, uh, along with Russell, um, when once they actually started reading the scripts, that's when they realised actually what a gem of a show it was. Yeah, and it must be interesting to have that cynicism and, and then read those those first couple of scripts and think probably looked amazing but you could think this would look shit on screen if it's not done right yeah definitely matthew bouch discusses what the concept of the show originally was and it was initially three men in a flat share and it was called the contract which is interesting i've i'd sort of the the beginnings of being human in that the three sort of humans i knew about that and that's quite well, well known but the actual the fact that it was called The Contract, the fact that it was three men, that was an interesting little revelation. Yeah, I'd totally forgotten it was called The Contract, but it, to me it just summons up an image of episode one, they go through the inventory. E- episode two, they decorate their flat, and that is against the contract, so the landlord gets annoyed. Yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> Drama yeah. ensues. I feel like the gore, unless they decide to murder their landlord, which, you know, could be very tempting. Um, I feel like, yeah, the drama would be on a on quite a low key. <laughs> yeah. No apocalypse, no vampire apoco- apocalypses in that, for sure. They talk about the tonal changes and the cast changes from the pilot, of course, and it's kind of what we discussed before, but it's it's how they describe the vampires from the pilot as a bit too blade, and they wanted them to fit into the real world yeah i found that very i found it very interesting that we all sort of had the same without watching this we all were thinking the same we were all discussing this earlier in the podcast so it's good that we were on the same you know the same track as the writers and the producers yeah it was like they were from another tv show entirely wasn't it very much was especially like the herrick character as they mentioned. But what I love next, this is one of my favourite bits of the episode. They cover the werewolf transformation. The best bit about this episode, I think, is the fact there's so much behind-the-scenes stuff of that cellar scene. And yeah. we get that behind-the-scenes look of the way they push the George's shoulders up and his spine cracks. Oh, I loved it. Like, that's so... I mean, it's to see how practical being human was you know it, it could be so easy to just rely on cgi which a lot of now tv and film do but to see actually how they got that spy i mean i had no idea that was practical effects it's amazing no it, it's the way they they show the they had i think it was two or three different armatures and one was like kind of like george's face but more hairy and the second one was pretty much fully werewolf but then they showed its no its nose going back and forth like you say about cgi that would look naff i just think and i what i remember about the american version of the werewolves is it was all pretty much cgi and it just didn't look very good or like or twilight it takes you out of that world and because this is really quite quite harrowing really when you see it but uh, but it's harrowing until you just see one half of a werewolf (laughs) (laughs) just what it looks like on a stick (laughs) 
Yeah, oh, yes. And I feel like... I feel like it could have been, you know, they could have used just a normal, you know, a sort of a, a lot of um, films and TV shows with werewolves. They go for the very much traditional wolf side of things. But I love about being human is that they really look at how to make it as monstrous as possible. Um, and yeah, we might poke fun occasionally at how the werewolf looks in being human. <laughs> but, you know, it's still just that transformation is still, I think some of the best werewolf transformation in all media how would you make a man dressed in a wolf suit look (laughs) very good well exactly i think i think the trick is obviously perhaps being human hasn't done it done it enough is just to not show as much of it as they did maybe just with clever editing and clever camera angles not just look like there's a man in the suit yeah but we love those men in the suits. God, must be fucking hot, honestly, especially down in that cellar. Oh gosh, yeah, they need. They would need a very good shower after that. <laughs> Forget about Mitchell needing a shower. <laughs> Speaking of Mitchell, Aiden seems to suggest he doesn't. When he performed as Mitchell, he didn't seem to think of him as a vampire. I don't know whether that's part of why Mitchell, as well as obviously dressing in a modern way, but that's helps explain why Mitchell works so well in the well in the real world he is just kind of playing him as a general guy isn't he he's not uh, unless the things get dark he's not I think that if you look at the pilot with Guy Flanagan he had all that moodiness and darkness and broodiness yeah constantly whereas Mitchell is so many different levels and so many different levels of human and it's only when shit gets real that you see the vampire come out yeah i feel like yeah with guy he was it was like he was told to you are playing a vampire be a vampire whereas with aiden i feel like it's mentioned loads in the show that they were the vampires were so based on addicts and i feel like that's more how he approached it as just a human with an addiction and it just so happened that this addiction is blood and he's a vampire, but not re- that's not really such a central part to how um, Aiden plays him. Yeah, and what Toby says about episode one is really interesting too, is that he wrote it with a Christmas carol in mind, that he was visited by three vampires. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I love that idea. In another world, this could be a Being Human Christmas special. Yes. Oh, that would be great. Werewolf wrapped in tinsel. Mitchell wearing a Santa hat. Vampire wearing a Santa hat. Annie wearing baubles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Annie, Annie would be do a whole massive festive cake. Oh no, I can't. It's just been Halloween. Let's move on for Christmas. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Halloween special. Halloween. I'm glad they didn't do anything like that. Halloween or Christmas or... Yeah, that's what that's what fanfics are for. Yeah, exactly. You don't need that because I think it limits it to once that time of year, doesn't it? If you just think of it that way. Exactly. And it's gory. It's gory pretty much all the way through, so... Yes. <laughs> another, another thing Toby said, which is really interesting I'd forgotten about, is the fact that the World War scene right at the beginning of episode one... We don't really see it, but he says Mitchell sacrificed himself to save the fellow soldiers. Now, to me, this doesn't necessarily fit in with Herrick's assertion that Mitchell has the darkest heart. Yeah, that's that's always been something, because they mention that right in 
the first episode about how uh, Mitchell sacrificed his life to save the lives of his men. It, yeah, it doesn't quite um, link in with the sort of image of Mitchell being chosen for b- being this evil, evil vampire. But maybe, you know, Mer- Herrick saw something in him. Well, I guess probably once he is a vampire. Uh, I guess we can go along with that. Once he is a vampire and once Herrick showed him the way, we could say Mitchell then had the darkest heart. Potentially, yeah. I suppose you can go with that. Uh, they then discuss Annie's costume changes and her visibility. I think they're reaching a bit. They they go on to explain it's a lot to entwined with her confidence and where she's at. But then it got, cuts to Toby and he just says, well, it got to about halfway through the series and it was all getting a bit messy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just yeah. like, sod it, let's just make her invisible. <laughs> yeah, because that's not really brought up. It's a bit in series two and then when she goes invisible again, it's like we've just given up on that whole idea. <laughs> so, yeah, but was... I, I also think it gives Annie that greater depth invisibility is almost her curse in the same way that George has got his curse and Mitchell's got his curse that that's her curse but if if she's visible too often then she can still be part of the real world and there's not much drama or intrigue in her character if she can still pretty much if she if she kept on going around making tea for her neighbors who never questioned why she was dead Sure. Yeah, surely some of those neighbours would know Annie from before. Like, surely they've not all moved into the house in the last year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I, compl- I completely agree with that. I think I'm very glad that they made, decided to um, keep with Annie's invisibility. They had to. Yeah, and there's, yeah. there's a moment in series two as well where it, it became important where she had to do that again. Yeah, and Toby says about Owen uh, that it, in his mind, we touched on this before as well, in his mind, Owen was a clear wrong'un and there was never any intrigue about the fact that he killed Annie. He puts it down to what we've all put it down to, the performance by Greg Chilling. Toby's probably writing that as a, well, he's a, he's a bastard. It's obvious he's horrible. The fact that the reveal's in the middle of the series probably suggests that, like Toby says, well... Yeah, of course. Of course he's a bastard. <laughs> yeah, but he makes a very good point that Greg Chillen just plays that sort of very charming, sort of innocent type of guy who's so, you know, in love with his ex fiance. It, it shocked me when it was revealed. Um, so it's really interesting that he, that Toby sort of felt like it would be obvious that he was the, the killer, the, a bad guy, but to a lot of us, it was very much very much a surprise and next up i would have liked more on this but also i don't know how they could have done more on this they talk about the bbc blog with barry pilling and he talks about the positivity between the fans and the and the makers of the show and the fact that they did q and a's with toby i don't know if there's a lot more you can say in a show like this because other than read people's posts out on the blog (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was i felt that that was a weird sort of i'm very glad they did because obviously the being human blog is a massive part of both of our experiences with being human but it was it was a slightly weird choice to add it in into this episode i felt yeah other than short saying so dave's dave from stafford says (laughs) yeah i'm yeah, I think they felt they had to acknowledge it because it was quite a big thing at the time and it, it built up that online community. And I think around that time it made other shows have, 
have blogs. But yeah, it is a bit overlooked, I suppose. Then we see Lauren's death scene. <laughs> oh, I love the story of the wobbly steak. The story of the wobbly steak, a Christmas special. I know this is a really obvious thing to say, but I've, I've been around filming for about three TV shows now. And it's so weird because when you're watching something on the screen, especially if it's something you're really into, it's really immersive and you remember it. The visuals, the, the words, the direction, it's all like in, in your brain. It's, it's funny how unspectacular something looks when it's, especially in an outside location like this, when p- people are just going about their day, going to buy some milk, walking past... And there's just this small corner of a, route, a road somewhere. Adults running around, dressed as vampires, playing with stakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's so, it makes, I mean, it's, so, it's such, such a tiny little part of what's going on in the rest of that city that day. And yet, in that moment, it can make such good telly. It's so, it's so weird. I can't, expl- I can't explain it, but... Yeah, no, I get, I completely get what you mean. I mean, it's a really an emotional scene. It's a big um, part of that episode, and it was just you know filmed in this tiny little alleyway with people just walking past, walking through cameras, and yeah. it's like, yeah. Toby talks about bringing the vampires out of the shadows, and it's Herrick's master plan all along. So he describes uh, Jason himself describes Herrick as a dictator, which I I guess I've never really thought about before but he is isn't he yeah i'd I'd say that he's on a dictator-ish character for sure and uh, jason talks about the balance of darkness and humor and keeping the audience guessing i mean he he definitely does that yeah and that's i think partly why herrick's such a good villain is that you never quite know what where you stand with him like one moment he'll be having a nice little joke next minute he will be threatening to rip you apart yeah what i found interesting about that jason would describe it as like almost the way he performs it is almost keeping the the actor that he's in a scene with guessing to so it's almost like keeping that edge, not just on the screen. It's probably keeping it in that room where he's filming as well because he's playing with it, isn't he? He's he's seeing what he can get away with. But I love watching that cellar scene. This is, this is the best footage of the whole thing. It's such a claustrophobic scene anyway. And then you see the outside takes and there's like five or six people in a crowded room. I'm I'm a, that's one thing that really stood out to me watching watching this um watching being human unearthed was how they can get, you know, a whole film crew plus the actors s- stuck in this little little room. I mean, obviously when with how the house scenes that was all sort of set and they were able to move things around and do fake walls and doors and stuff but in a when they're actually filming on location in such a small like small area it's a uh, magic it's ma- magic it is and it's also <laughs> just because obviously there's another camera just filming obviously for the for the unearthed episode just seeing different angles of the way they're playing those scenes you know those those iconic lines and those iconic moments. You're seeing them from a a different camera, a, gra- a different angle, a grainier camera as well, not as good quality, and it still looks impressive even through that. Yeah, I'm still entranced by the the acting, the performances that are happening. 
Yeah. And it's not even in good quality as such. No, no, that's it. And and it's interesting that Jason Watkins just said about because Russell's performance was so high energy and and impassioned and big, especially because of the transformation that he had, to, he felt he had to up the game. And obviously, once it was getting to the end of Herrick's life, he he had to raise the game up even more. I found I found it really interesting that um, Toby was saying how this was the scene which he had been sort of had in mind this the entire time of writing hmm. um, was this showdown between George and Herrick, um, which I think is brilliant. And I really like that sort of input into into Toby's mind there. Yeah, I I guess that's not so much a surprise in the sense that because of, obviously it happened in a different way in the pilot. But then you go back to the writing process. What I found something early he said about the Owen scene where Annie confronts Owen, he said when he was writing that for a time that he had no idea what to do. Once once Owen fell to the floor, he had nothing. He was like, well, that's the story over. He knew he, knew he needed something, but he didn't know what. And that's just a fascinating thing. Yeah. How, how stories can just, they'll be writing and stories can just develop as they're doing it into who knows what. And yeah, think of yeah, think as you said, think of what a massively different show we could have had if just certain things were changed, certain things were different. I think that kind of wraps up being human unearthed because obviously we can't really go through the characters because we know the characters. We know and we love them. We know and we love them. <laughs> Even the unsavory ones. <laughs> Next up, we're going to do a bit of a Q&A, a series one Q&A. We're going to do one of these at the end of every series. And this is what, what I'm going to call, Oh my God, has everybody taken stupid pills? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a very, very good title. There. <laughs> I approve. Uh, so we've got a couple of questions from Deadly Furniture. Hey. 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 Big up the Deadly Furniture. Big up Deadly Furniture. Okay, you get a serious question because I'm nice like that. Pilot episode, the one with a different cast. Necessary viewing or additional fun? Do people who've not watched it lose necessary background information or is nothing in it canon? What do you reckon? Um, the way So the way I view the pilot episode as, opposed, as in contrast with the um, actual series is that Everything that happens in the series is canon, so it's sort of if it doesn't, if it contradicts what happens in the pilot, then it's the series we pay attention to. But if the series doesn't contradict the pilot, then the pilot is canon. If that makes any sense at all. So stuff like the meeting of George's ex in the pilot, um, that I feel like doesn't happen in the actual canon of the show, but. Um, George and Mitchell oh. going house hunting and George getting excited about a garden or whatever it was. So I feel like it's not necessary for fans to watch, but I think it's a good little fun extra. Yeah, like you say, I think, no, you don't need it. I I view the pilot as just a warm-up. Some things that happened led to the way the series one started. Some things were totally written and some things were totally disregarded. So I I think it's called a pilot for a reason. In in Britain we call a pilot a tester, really. In in America, for some reason, they call their pilot episode ones pilots. Which I I've never got my hang around my head around on that one. I don't think it's necessary because I hadn't watched the pilot probably until two or three years into being human. So 
I don't think you lose anything. I would. There's some good. There's some good lines of dialogue in. That's probably the best thing. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. They didn't put it on a DVD for a reason. That's an extra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the too long didn't read. <laughs> yeah. And now Deadly Furniture's silly question: Why can ghosts walk through walls, but don't fall through the floor? So I've been thinking about this one, and I my opinion is that they're constantly floating. They don't realise it, but they're floating. There we go. Mm, or perhaps they're wearing Air Max trainers. Yes, perhaps. Yes, that might be it as well. Uh, like underneath Annie's Uggs. Yeah, she might some... have she might have an air base to her Uggs. Yeah. Air who, who are we to say that she doesn't? You know. Air Uggs. 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 Well, here we go. So this one's this is from Lauren. So this one's mainly for Hannah. Who's the most reluctant vampire, Hal or Louis? So I'm assuming interview of the vampire. Yes, so yeah, um Hi Lauren. <laughs> um so yeah, this is um Hal versus Louis de Pont du Lac from Interview with the Vampire, the Vampire Chronicles. Sorry, bless you what? <laughs> <laughs> it's very that. Louis yeah, Louis is very much like a lot of the um a lot like Hal he is reluctant a lot of the time to um kill and eat humans um but he does love to snack on animals um and so I feel like they're both quite both Hal and um Louis are very reluctant and I'm not going to talk too much about it because we're on series one here but I think Hal is slightly more, slightly more reluctant than Louis in uh, the sense that we know him in the series rather than Lord Harry. <laughs> Second question from Lauren. Do you wish Dead kept with BH unearthed so we got one for each series? What sort of things would you have liked to have seen in this ep that we didn't see? I know it's not the style of the show because it's a fast paced BBC free show. I guess I think I'd have just liked a bit more, a bit of long form talk with Toby and the directors and the people behind the scenes, because I found that and a bit more footage behind the scenes. I think that's what I found more interesting. Yeah, I agree. One, I think, yes, there should be a being human on Earth for every series. Um, But I would have loved to see more. I wanted to see more about the costuming. I really wanted to have like, discussion on the soundtrack like why wasn't Richard Wells invited on you know because he has done such a beautiful um, score for the show and I feel like that would have been a really interesting um, conversation to have Um, so I think they did I mean it was it was interesting fun but I think they did miss out a few a few sort of elements that could have made it really really interesting I think with something like this, you're not going to please everyone. And also, you don't know at what stage they thought, well, actually, we'll, we've got a little bit of extra behind-the-scenes footage here. We'll get something out of this. Yeah. You don't you don't know. Or whether it was just designed to be... Well, bizarrely, it was designed to be a DVD extra that never appeared on a DVD, like like the pilot. It's a shame. And now it, and now it only exists on YouTube. So I hope... So we need to download it so it doesn't go missing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one last question from Lauren. If you could save one character who died in this series, who would they? Who would it be and why? Oh, are we just talking series one? Series here? one, yeah. Series one. One character who died. I mean, he sort of already was dead, but bring bring back Gilbert. 
<laughs> I want. I want, I could have a lot more Gilbert. I think. Okay, I would go with Lauren because I fancy her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, Annabelle Scully is very, very attractive. So I can't blame you there. If that makes me shallow, I am shallow. Liverpool Lou has sent us quite a few questions. I'm going to select a few of them. It's like an essay here. Oh, that's that's exciting. Do you have <laughs> slightly ominous? Do you have a favourite standout moment episode character that is outside of the main three? Mm, for me, yeah, it would be. I think because I'm an '80s girl at heart. I was born in the '90s, but I'm eighty. I'm an '80s girl. It would be Gilbert. It would be Ghost Town. I think that's. I really love that. Um, that episode for all it brings, not just in that sort of um aspect, um, but also in the huge. You know, that's the when we get the first main twist, and it's done so well. So, I that's think funny. I'm. I'm an '80s boy, but. I would have to say my favourite character outside the main three is Herrick for series one. He's so evil. He is. He's he's vile and I yeah. He's, he's perfect antagonist. He's vile and I love him. <laughs> uh, okay, was there a point when watching series one did you realise you were hooked? Mine is watching Annie's storyline with Owen fixing the pipes, seeing this young naive sweet woman sin in love to suddenly realising that things weren't as they seemed in her relationships. So essentially, was there a point in series one where you realised you were hooked? Um, to be honest, um, it, it it the first episode, I think, I think it was the um, I talked a bit about it on um the Flotsam and Jetsam episode, but George running through the woods pre transformation. I remember like watching that and just being like, this is the best thing I've ever watched, and that was me hooked immediately. Right, right from that first sort of in the first half an hour of the show. For me, it was series two. I didn't start watching till series two, mm, but yeah. But I had seen little clips here or there of. I remember just seeing Mitchell and George around the hospital, so I thought when it appeared on the Sunday night series two, I thought, right, I'm going to give this a try, and literally within ten minutes, I was just right, and and <laughs> this is it. This is my show. I didn't. As we're talking about the pilot being essential or not, series one is clearly essential. But even though there was a couple of references to series one, it didn't really matter yeah. at the time. They did mention Herrick a couple of times. So I was a bit like, "Who's that?" But it didn't. It didn't matter at the time because everything. If you can just start a TV show somewhere, anywhere along the journey of that TV show, and you can get into it without needing all the references or the backstory, then that's good writing. You don't need to know everything. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And also you don't need to have 10, 12 episodes until you get into something, which a load of people say about things like, nah. Nah, we've got just this. I mean, the first series was only six episodes and it's still one of the best series. This might be aimed at me, but you can answer it if you like. I know your answer is going to be talking to me. So, you know, what is your favourite memory of doing the podcast so far? I think essentially why I chose to have co-hosts that were all fans of the show, that would be weird if I didn't, is the fact that a TV show that has a great community and a, and a great togetherness, even though it's not been a show that's been on years, we still follow each other on Twitter, we still talk to each other. 
and there's still a deep passion for the show. So rather than just me having like one sidekick where generally you'd know our opinions about everything by five, six episodes in, to talk to different people, I think, to get different perspectives as well. So I, it's, it, And also, like, some people I've talked on the show, I've met in real life a few times, some people haven't, and or even spoke to. I don't. I haven't spoken to you before the first time we, we, we recorded. But I think that's just connecting with fans who share the same interest, I guess. Yeah, it's that sort of the reconnection with fans. I mean, obviously, the, the fandom hasn't died, but it's been really lovely to just have this podcast to sort of resurrect the fandom a little bit and make those sort of make those connections again she says what is your favorite memory of being a being human fan oh that's wholesome (laughs) (laughs) um my favorite memory um i mean being part of the blog is sort of like a whole memory and that's definitely like that's my favorite thing of being a being human fan was that being part of the the Mm. bloggers but since then meeting meeting damien yeah just just the uh, everything to do with the fandom to be honest yeah uh, for me i think it was going to filming that was just such an awesome experience and that was it was also around the same time which i just became friends with people i'm still friends with now and yeah, overwhelmingly positive experience, that one. I'm very, very jealous. I can't believe I missed that out. <laughs> <sighs> How old were you in 2012? 2012, I was 14, oh, I think. there you go. Yeah, you a bit go. too young. <laughs> Alice. Hi, Alice. The Series 1 soundtrack is pretty perfect already, but if you could add one song, what would it be? And what scene or episode would you put it in? Ooh. Did you have any thoughts about this? I did, but I'm going to go obscure. I would go with, the scene would be the very end of episode four when Mitchell goes back to Herrick, uh, where he goes dark side again. And the, it's a song called Bonfires by Hope of the States. Uh, yep, have never heard of that before. It, <laughs> <laughs> you're one of many people who haven't heard of it before. And it's just a really dark, brooding, quite angry song. Just Google the lyrics, listen yep. to the song, and you'll go, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that fits in that, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I will do, I will do, yeah. I think for for Maya, I had two ones, and one was Placebo's cover of Running Up That Hill. Oh, yeah. Mainly because I discovered Placebo by watching a Being Human fan video, which was done to Running Up That Hill. Um, and so from that moment on, that's all. That's always been connected. So if that was in, that would have that would have been amazing. Um, but also, um, time to pretend by MGMT. Okay, I don't know that one. Uh, oh, again, have a have a listen. It's got that sort of quite upbeat, sort of slight quirkiness to it that I feel being human used quite a bit. Indie, it's indie electro pop type deal and i'm not sure what scene that would be in but i feel like it would be on a uh, over a montage everybody needs a montage (laughs) everyone loves a montage this is by email and it's signed off with the name vampire annihilator (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I don't think we want them on. How dare they? <laughs> don't they know that they're talking to a vampire right now? <laughs> okay, this one's this one's for Michael. Thank you for the podcast. I'm loving the reevaluation of one of my favourite TV shows. However, I have an issue with you. I'm sorry, but this is your fault. How on earth can you think that Mitchell didn't have a nibble on Josie? Are you A, blind, B, daft, or C, distracted by Mitchell's chest, or all of the above? <laughs> yeah, we, 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 had a, we had a whole discussion on this, didn't we, over on Twitter? We did. Right, okay. In my defence, this is a case for the defence. I recently, a couple of years ago, got glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps in the past, I probably didn't notice a little bit of blood on his lip. And secondly, I think, as I've exp- I said before, I just, I know that it was getting towards the end of the series and they had to get to the George and Herrick stuff and they couldn't dwell on how sad Mitchell felt about that if, he'd, if he had nommed on Josie and how guilty he would have felt. I was probably trying to see the good side of Mitchell and also the fact, I know, big fatal error, literally, and also the fact she was dying and she said she was tired and I was just putting those two together. I know I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's, only, it's only taken you what, um, how many years has it been to realise? I don't know, 13. <laughs> <laughs> Easily done. How many times have you rewatched it? Uh, you know. Too many and I still didn't notice. I've had, I've had, sometimes I've watched it in the past and gone, yeah, he did. And sometimes I thought, no, but my overriding feeling was that he didn't. I mean, yeah, we learn new things every day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Debbie asks, out of your entire wardrobe, which of your clothes would you least want to die in? I.e. spend the rest of your ghost time in. So I guess, do we have any embarrassing attire? Oh. I don't really have basically anything that's brightly coloured. I would hate to die in that. Okay. I've got a few sort of yeah, random that's stuff. Yeah, that's because you're a goth. That'd be well, yeah, that'd exactly. be hell on earth, wouldn't it? It would. It would be horrendous. Everyone would think I was like all I don't know, ugh. like dying in like blue denim, blue denim jeans or den- like blue denim jacket would be absolute uh, nightmare. <laughs> I don't know. We do, I guess we don't have embarrassing or rubbish clothes by default because we wouldn't really buy it, would yeah, we? I can only think of being stuck in a costume. Yeah. Like if you turned up at... Well, no, you'd love to turn up at Halloween cost, in a Halloween party. And, oh, yeah. And, and die in those clothes because <laughs> you'd be like, yeah, made. Um, I've got a stitch onesie. Mm-hmm. You'd always be cosy, though. Exactly, you? I'd always be cosy. So I mean, and I'd be invisible, so it wouldn't really matter. Um, and that sounds very cute, onesie as well. So I keep threatening to my fiance that I'm going to show up at the wedding in a mankini. So if actually, it, yeah, if it, if you it, di- if I died while wearing a, like a bathing suit or something, yeah. I wouldn't like that. So if I died on my wedding day in a mankini. <laughs> There you go. I, there you go. I, di- I yeah. don't want to die in a mankini. Okay, so just, yeah, just be careful. If you sense that you're about to die... Don't wear a mankini. Just, just don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this one is from Richard. 
Uh, just a couple more left now. Shag, marry, avoid. Wait for this one. It's not the contenders you think. Shag, marry, avoid. Seth, Tully and Herrick. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> that is just fucking horrible. I hate it. Thanks. <laughs> Especially as coming from an asexual lesbian, like this is just. <laughs> so, so basically, I don't even know where to start. You'd have to avoid, avoid, avoid. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Kill, kill, kill. Avoid, avoid, avoid. <laughs> oh, sh- you couldn't shag. I mean, Richard, why would you do this to us? I'd. That is- yeah. I'd Come on, you're, you're, you're bi. Let's. <laughs> I'd marry Herrick because he would just. I was about to say control me, but that didn't sound right. If I was married to Herrick, I don't think he would kill me. That's probably wrong. Yeah, you'd. Yeah, he'd probably end up manipulating you into killing yourself. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Just to Jeez. bring it there. That's gaslighting on a big scale, that is. I'd avoid Seth, because that's basically what you've got to do with Seth. And, I mean, Tully, he's horrible. But he's better looking than Seth. So, there's your answer, Richard. Are you happy with yourself? Because I'm not. I feel unclean. Yeah, he, you're going to have nightmares now. <laughs> All right, and now this is the last one uh, from Max. Whatever happened to George's bum box? Did you misplace it or hide it in a cupboard through shame? The truth is, I thought, say say Annie had got her arse out a lot. And I was was counting how many times Annie had got her arse out a lot. that, That would be classed as objectification. So I, I didn't want to objectify George stroke Russell and thus I dropped it because I'm a modern man. My real reason is I thought <laughs> I thought what have I done? Why have I started this? I'm stopping it. Yep, everyone else loved it and you just... <laughs> if, if there's someone out there who wants to count how many times George gets his ass out Please just email me, tweet me, and tell me how many times he gets his arse out. Yeah, probably make a YouTube compilation. Uh, Red Tube. <laughs> <laughs> many thanks to Hannah for returning to the show. Something we didn't mention in the conversation. Uh, she wrote, inspired by a conversation on the podcast about how Mitchell and Gilbert met, she wrote a fan fiction called Dead Souls. It's a really good read recommend it what i will do is i will put it in put a link to it in the show notes uh check it out it's a great read and places you fully where the characters are you can totally imagine them saying all those lines so it's brilliant just before we wrap up for the episode i thought i would do a quick run of end of season polls and i did four of them in well i did three of them in total and the first question i gave was who was the most evil character? And I gave the options of Owen, Herrick and Seth. Now, Seth got 5%. I don't know how Seth got 5%. Herrick got 30% and Owen got 65%. I honestly thought Herrick would win this because of the whole world domination, 
evil vampire thing. But I think what's cut through with Owen is the fact that he is human and he killed our Annie and that just nasty streak that just ran through him throughout the series. So you could argue at least Herrick had that excuse that he's a vampire and he was just surviving. But yes, Owen won that by on well, by a clear margin really. Uh the second question I asked is who is your favourite guest star? Nomdon Becker, Becker from episode one, Rutty Tully, Tully of course, Ghostly Gilbert, or Bernie the Boy? Bernie and Becker came out bottom at five percent each. Tully only got twenty one percent, and this is a landslide victory for our boy, our indie kid, the legend Gilbert, sixty eight percent. And I love Gilbert. Uh, it's no surprise because Tully is a great character, but obviously, again, in the same way that what Owen did to Annie, what Tully did to George, and that darkness at the heart of him, that, that's why I think Gilbert's come out top. Now, this is the biggie. Which was your favourite episode? Surprisingly, Another Fine Mess, episode 4, came bottom with 17%. Flotsam and Jetsam, 5th on 27%. Where the Wild Things are, 33%. And Joint 2nd, I suppose, Tully and Ghost Town on 36%. And Bad Moon Rising, the finale, on 50%. And I think if I made a choice, I would go for Bad Moon Rising as my favourite, purely because it's the culmination of everything that was building in that series it just tied everything together so well as well as setting up series two if i was go for my least favorite i mean least favorite i love them all i think before i'd gone on this podcast journey i would have said tully and that's no slight on the episode because i think it's an amazing episode but now i've gone through it as i went through the tully with matthew it's such an in-depth episode and there's so many layers to it and complexities to it that I just think, out of them, I think Ghost Town is probably, and I'll use this in speech marks and quotation marks, the weakest episode. I love it. I think probably it's just the fact that it's the slowest of the episodes. And that is it. We are done for Series 1. You can find us on Facebook instagram and tumblr as the box tunnel survivors group on twitter box tunnel pod you can email me at box pod at gmail.com if you would like to become a recruit like and subscribe on your app of choice and if you want to be an honorary old one and come on the show talk about an episode of being human contact me at box pod at gmail.com we sign out as we sign in with dog scratched ear by henry's funeral shoe until next time we found them was the Box Tunnel Podcast, and thanks.